slowly rolling into that docking berth. It's Veecher, please. A hateful voice, Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I have finally seen all of Star Trek Voyager as of a week ago. Your co-host, Peter. It's true. This is your first complete watching of another Star Trek show that's not named TNG. Um, I mean, we're technically Lower Decks, but Lower Decks is still in production, so... Um... Oh, I'm sorry. You've watched all of Picard, too. <laughs> I wish <sighs> I could say I've banged myself into a wall enough times that I've forgotten that, but uh, I, I, not not the case. Yeah, man, it, it has been a real treat, and I don't want to get into the series, uh, rest in peace, but sitting here at the, the end of season seven, what a joy and a treat it's been for me. Unlike probably 99, I don't know, maybe a hundred percent of the people out there listening to a Star Trek Voyager podcast. I have to think watched Voyager to get into such a, <laughs> yeah, there's a certain barrier to entry to listening to a show like ours, which is you also are watching the episodes or have already watched and remember them so vividly such that two nerds talking about it for an hour makes for good entertainment for you and god bless you every one of you <laughs> we we enjoy your uh your patronage we really do absolutely but as someone who did not watch any of this stuff being able to go in uh in geez when we start 2019 2018 it's four years we started in 2018 yeah i want to say this is like the second christmas i've uh fucked up my wife's plans for christmas eve yeah merry, merry christmas <laughs> we're, we're recording this on christmas eve eve which is not much of a burden for me but you know peter over here with three children uh different story <laughs> well last night we assembled the barbie dream house so you know the heavy lifting's out of the way there but uh yeah being able to go through and watch this stuff for the first time getting that that time capsule Berman era trek in has been very enjoyable and i assume at some point we'll get around to DS9, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Season 7 Star Trek Voyager. Before we get into it, though, one last shout out before we end our recorded episode lifetime on this topic. Uh, we have one more show left. It will be a live stream that we're going to actually uh, fire off for everybody on January 5th. It'll start at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. That's 2022, by the way. Yeah, 2022. Uh, there will be plenty of, you know, Facebook and Twitter and social media things to uh, advise everyone of that. Uh, so approximately six days from the date that this is, gets published, but hopefully you'll hear about it before then. We are encouraging as much uh, participation as possible. We're going to live stream it on Twitch. Uh, there'll be some hangouts in, in the Discord at, afterwards to a certain extent. I'm I think I might even take the next day off just so that I can uh, hang out with everybody as much as possible. But just as to say uh, farewell to this particular chapter of Feature, please, but it won't be the end of us. We'll be back in March uh, with episodes on Enterprises we've talked about. Uh, before we get into that, though, um, I want to talk about Ian and Sarah. They are lovely friends of ours. Uh, Ian, in particular, we've known uh, from our prior lives and his lovely wife, Sarah, they came up with not only the the rad inner light intro you heard at the beginning, uh, but of course, the tired and true uh, Voyager theme that they cooked up for us so long ago to spare 
all of humanity from whatever you would have uh, produced from a recorder. It's one of my biggest regrets is that I had set out thinking that at some point I'd be able to play the Voyager theme song on my fucking elementary school recorder, and I've just been too lazy to do it. (laughs) Well, fear not. Actual musicians, uh, actual musicians, uh, actual drunk musicians. Yes, uh, they had to actually get loaded to make it bad enough for our use. And we are eternally grateful. And I don't think I'm spoiling too much to suggest it's not the last you'll hear from them when it comes to our podcast lives. But we'll leave it at that. So let's get into season seven, man. I think just season seven provides a rich field of things to talk about without it being too much of a a series discussion, which I'm really looking forward to having. And starkly contrasting the previous season six, which I have to actively make my mouth say the word six because it is now hardwired in my brain to say season sucks because that's how bad the last season was. Um, And I think that and this was uh, Kenneth Biller, right? Yes, he was a showrunner at this point. I think Kenneth Biller really turned things around. And, you know, you posed a question to me off air. Was it a good final season? You know, final seasons are sometimes bad. Concept can be played out. Everybody's waiting for the end. Eyes are looking other directions. In the case of Next Gen, right? They had uh, Star Trek Generations. Everybody was gearing up for. They had DS9 that was in production. Everyone was looking towards their next job. And this and yeah, this was the question I posed was, is this a good last season? And I'm getting the sense you believe that it was or at least an improvement. I think that's fair. An improvement on what? I mean, season sucks. Yes, obviously the the show as a whole. Yeah, I think overall looking at the episode list that we have here, I think season seven was very good. I don't think it was as bold and risky as the early seasons. I think, what what would we say, season three or season, was it three or four that was our, we had like a lot of strong feelings. So we felt, and I think we continue to feel that season three was ultimately this season's best overall kind of chapter. And that had a lot to do with Cass. Like that's when you got like the best Cass episodes like Warlord. And that sort of thing that was still like an element. You, you got worst case scenario, you know, mm-hmm. like you got the the coworker murder simulator. This was Which before accompan- with with accompanying real life courtesy of Jack video game adaptation. It's hard to beat that. It was before the Borg bogged down a lot of the, the meta. It was before seven of nine came to dominate so much of the screen time. And Voyager still felt kind of like it was the Wild West. Of Star Trek shows. Again, I, I will go down saying that stuff like uh, Vidians, even Kazon towards the end, there was a lot of bold, interesting and different stuff that they tried with Voyager and it all fell flat on its face the first time around. But I think a lot of it by the end of those early seasons, they had very usable product. Whereas season seven, a lot closer to traditional Trek. I think it was a lot closer to traditional Trek, but in a good way. Um, season six, as you noted, possibly the worst season. That's something for a later discussion. But season seven, 
Voyager felt more like Star Trek, a traditional Star Trek show in season seven than any other season would be my underlying theme. I think that had a lot to do with another question I posed to you offline, which was the connection to Starfleet that wound up being a major part of several different episodes. The Midas Project, right? The Midas Relay. Correct. This is the stuff that started with Pathfinder. It started in season uh, six, but in season seven became uh, matured to the point where you had several episodes that dealt with them and constant ability to contact Starfleet Command and be connected back to the Alpha Quadrant. And this is the episodes that brought us, you know, stuff like Friendship One and, and Inside Man and that sort of thing. My answer to that is... I think they introduced it at the exact right pace and frequency. The initial contact via the Midas relay, and that was wasn't shipping a was that shipping a bottle? Yeah, message in the bottle was the first time that they contacted the Alpha Quadrant via the Doctor going back to have his adventure with Andy Dick. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until seasons later that they actually made contact, which. Which was the episode Pathfinder from season six. Use of the Herogen relay as the Hail Mary that worked out. And then not following up on that until deep into not yeah, deep into the series. I mean, uh, once we started getting some Barkley action going, I think they hit that the exact right way. And the, I have no criticism of how that was pursued at all. You know, more more to the Starfleet connection question you're asking. I think would be questioning and criticizing the decision not to show anything of Voyager past them flying up on earth, uh, especially since it never really got any formal discussion until lower decks. Uh, So no, I, I don't think there was a better way to handle the Starfleet reconnect or communication with Starfleet. And in fact, what that question did was make me think, what did they bring in too late? And My question, by the way, I don't think we established. I questioned if they should bring it, have brought it in in season six in full force. Because in season seven, it came in full force, visual contact, missions from actual Starfleet. You know, we were doing trials via 11 minute segments all the whole nine, right? Like we're actually talking to them. It isn't a gimmick. It isn't a one-off. And I pose to you, should they have brought that in a season earlier? If this happened in season six, would that have helped the show feel more like Star Trek and, and define itself a little bit better in its back half in the way that season seven, ultimately I felt did in fact have those contours. And you're saying, no, it was the right time to bring that in at the, at the end that, you know, it was just the right amount. You didn't want to overplay that. I tend to think that it should have been more in season six. I think there was more to do with that. I think a lot of the things that we're talking about in our episodes of things we didn't see, particularly in regards to Chicote, the Maquis, what's going to happen to them, stuff that was just basically suggested very occasionally and never followed up on, could have easily have been fleshed out in much greater detail had they tapped into this idea a season sooner. There could have been an episode about a 
the Starfleet command not being comfortable with the Maquis and a confrontation that occurs over that of Janeway standing up for how they've become upstanding Starfleet officers under her command. You know, like that was missing from this show. That did not happen in season seven. It really desperately needed to. Instead, we had that god awful like rehash of them all in their fucking Amazon uh, cafe fucking uniforms. Early yeah, was on. that re- repression? It was repression. Yeah. And instead of having that opportunity, you know, maybe you could make the case some of these shitty episodes could have been replaced by better concepts, but there's more of a chance that could have happened if you had gotten to the point in the story where they're in touch with Starfleet a little bit sooner and and not have kind of delayed that by a whole season. Well, Pathfinder was the first episode that touched on that was uh, episode 10 of season six. So, I mean, there certainly was groundwork towards establishing that in six. But I think as far as regular contact goes, I didn't like the episodes necessarily. And I certainly didn't enjoy the majority of the Borg participation we saw in Voyager as a whole. But they did make the choice that the Borg were going to be a big fucking deal for Voyager. And I think that making Voyager still feel alone in the middle of nowhere and it being very dangerous. Like that was woods. Those were scary woods that Voyager had to get through pretty much alone. And once they conquered the Borg and Unimatrix zero for as dumb as that story arc was, I felt like that kind of graduated them into the senior class and okay, now we're going to start going a little heavier into this reconnecting with uh, more traditional trek maybe my complaint really is just that the dead weight of season seven felt so much more consequential because it was the last season you know for every repression you know for for every q2 there wasn't an actual chance to pay off major issues and storylines and do something interesting And that's not to say interesting things didn't happen, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we give out all of our awards, but there, there was so much lost opportunity for this whole show. And I won't touch that anymore since I feel like that's going to be a huge topic for us next week. When you're at the end of the, of the line, each second is precious. And when they're wasted, it feels worse. I guess Absolutely. Is what I'm saying. Speaking of waste, I'd like to go ahead and get to the, the first set of awards. Uh, we're already here. We're already talking about them. Uh, the time wasters. And I think you hit the nail on the head that when you're in that home stretch, you have clear vision on where the show is going to end up and where people need to go. Plot lines that need to resolve this and that. Yeah, absolutely. Every episode counts. So um, I want you to lay on me your three worst episodes of season seven. In this order, it was Repression, (laughs) Unimatrix Zero Part Two, and Q2. Those are my worst three. I know that you hate natural law and natural law is bad. That you you read my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's going to be in your bottom three, and that Mm -hmm. is not in my bottom three. It is a conspicuous absence. I think those other three I just named are far worse. Uh, Unimatrix Zero is like the the. I mean, it's like almost like an all time terrible 
just everything about it's bad, right? Like the fact that it's your cliffhanger at the, you know, season six to season seven transition, the fact that the Borg are just like uber clowned yet again, all of the, the seven of nine melodrama and regards to it. You can get a booster shot that prevents assimilation. All of it's bad. There is nothing, nothing about Unimatrix zero part two. That's redeemable. And I had listened to that episode again. And the the hearty laugh I got when you described Tuvok slapping. <laughs> slapping Torres out of the episode. <laughs> I feel like that forgives a lot of what that episode did wrong. Uh, ultimately, yeah, it's, it's a trash episode. They shit all over the Borg. It destroys huge swaths of <sighs> Trek genre i guess and it completely defangs the borg to an extent that i don't think even uh endgame is able to to effectively capture endgame does a lot to try and recapture borg scariness but it's too little too late the q2 i think is like a consensus bad pick you know greasy sweaty puffy q foisting his untalented son I don't Voyager. blame his son. I don't, I'm not blaming his son. No, like he's actually not the worst part of the episode. It's definitely Delance who's just not at his peak performance levels. I don't even blame him, man. It's just it's a turkey script. It It's bad. And, you know, f- for the record, here's my. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. And I'll give you mine. But but for me, the biggest crime. Q2 isn't even like bottom of the barrel i would say that there's other objectively worse q episodes in voyager uh q is a low point for season seven because seven's quality is overall pretty high i think yeah, q in the gray is worse than q2 q2's biggest crime against trek is that the whole thing fucking focuses on the first child Q and the expectations and the blah, blah, blah. And there's a whole goddamn episode of next gen with Amanda Rogers that already addressed all of this. And they just act. There's give me that one throwaway line that she didn't work out. She got killed. She quit to continue. Just so you know, the whole fucking uh, framework of that episode is completely destroyed by Amanda Rogers, which was documented by Picard in his captain's log and Janeway and everybody else should know because everybody's up to date on the queue. So it's just like, it's this shitty. What if one off that leaves repression? And that might be the one that you wind up cycling out to, to put in natural law. I just think repression is worse because if you're going to bring back the whole Maquis plot line and do something with it in season seven, I just think you get bonus points knocked off for the fact that it was something that stupid throwaway, terrible and ultimately pointless. Like the more I thought about all of the rich vistas that they could have explored when it came to having a half Al Qaeda fucking crew and how things had changed and how Starfleet may may or may not have understood that and how that could have been that episode. It just pissed me off more and more about it. The half Maquis crew was rock solid. And I don't know who in the Voyager production team came up with that idea, but man, they deserved a gold star for it. And whoever effectively squandered that potential 
just did an immeasurable disservice to the show. You take every fucking shitty Voyager episode out there and you could have put some sort of Maquis Starfleet uh, personality conflict in there and it, it would have been a better product. They squandered their golden goose and shame on them. And exactly what you said, repression uh, was just a stern reminder that they shit the bet on it. It's a bad Tuvok episode. It's a low budget, junky, ridiculous episode. The only cool part out of that whole episode is that uh, Tuvok was willing to shoot Janeway with a phaser he didn't know for sure was going to be a dud. And that smoldering catcher got to look like a badass. It's true. It was a let's let's I'm going to spoil a little bit. My 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 second best character of the of the season was definitely smoldering catcher guy. We've never given him best character of the season because unfortunately he does not have enough lines. But I gave him I gave him the the uh, the honorable mention in my list. Uh, He was just a consistent performer from beginning to end. And he had two moments to shine in this season. And that was one of them. So I'll, I'll grant you that. But what, what were your three worst? Uh, Special runner up is natural law. Natural law was a turd bad pairing of Chakotay with seven. That should have been Chakotay with Torres. So we could have, again, just botches across the board on anything Maquis related. Uh, I I was pretty brutal to natural law in that episode. I don't want to spend too much time shitting on it. I will shit firmly all over Nightingale. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I think I just, I enjoyed discussing that too much to think about it being as bad as it was. Great episode. I listened to that again and, and uh, don't mind me tooting on my own horn, but that was such a bad episode. It was just a fucking cornucopia of jokes and gags for us, but as a episode itself, it was fucking miserable. Not only did it completely subvert the goal it set out to do, which is to try and give Harry Kim a flattering vanity episode, but uh, it is objectively Voyager siding with the bad guys and being intergalactic shitbags. And not since the Voyager aligned itself with the Borg has Voyager really squarely allied with bad people to the degree you see there. I mean, even the Vaudois episode, like they, they kind of did that on accident. And like one of them ends up being a good guy. Like there's some ambiguity there and their arm gets twisted behind their back to like survive the thing. Like there's a bunch of some ragtag hillbilly force up in the air trying to fucking nuke them from orbit. Like they do what they got to do to survive. And that means a run and gun fight and ultimately end up fighting the VOD war at the end. But this, I mean, go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> like all the shit we give Ron glass and like, Oh yeah. And then he needed to make his pool or whatever. Like, I think that's probably why I didn't even consider it for the list. I don't think I enjoyed another episode this season more in terms of our show. So I can't list something as the worst if I actually enjoyed reviewing it. And in season seven, let's talk about that. We picked Voyager specifically because we knew there was going to be bad episodes that we were going to be able to joke about and have fun with. That's why we didn't go with Deep Space Nine. And that's also, I mean, Next Gen's rife with garbage, too. But it's it's overplayed by a lot of other podcasts. Several of the episodes on this worst episode, it's so hard in season seven to get to like the real dog shit episodes that, yeah, the opportunity for us to sink our teeth in and shake it around. You got to relish it. Those were fun ones to podcast on. But objectively, 
shit episodes. I, I will grant you that this, this is a, an acceptable premise. What are the other two? Uh, you know, repression and Q2. Uh, okay. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, I mean, what, what are you going to say, right? Like, there I, were there's some absolute bads. <laughs> I didn't like Natural Law, but it's not the worst uh, of the bottom three offenders so, for this. So one. you're you're uh, you're basically swapping out Unimatrix Zero Two for Nightingale, and I respect that. I respect and to be that. fair, like Unimatrix Two was just so fucking stupid. I think I've just blocked a lot of that garbage from my memory because <laughs> it, it's just a traumatic event. Uh, you know, the doctor being able to cure assimilation with a time delay formula, like. Stop, just please. Stop. Well, what I would like to hear, Peter. Is what your top three episodes were Lay them on me, sir. It is a it's a it's a rich season to pick from. So these were hard ones. I'm, I can't give you three, so I'm just going to run through my, my top. However many of this is critical care. That's the doctor in the floating series yeah, where the doctor gives the HMO AIDS. Yes, which we focus on as the main joke out of that. But in reality, that is an excellent doctor episode of Robert Picardo, who's become a razor sharp scalpel at portraying a doctor on TV with with, with laser focus on on care and doing the right thing. And he gets to go off like a chainsaw into a vat of butter and just make a complete fucking mess looking like a badass total pimp episode and and it's picardo doing some of his best work i think and also really strong uh guest actors it's just a story that works top to bottom even and even uh, tiny tim even tiny tim and i fucking hate <laughs> anthem so uh you know they just fucked up my past two weeks of doing hr stuff at work um yeah fuck them i hope some <laughs> i hope the doctor finds whoever spiked my medical rates 53 percent and put space aids in their neck the grievances of uh, hating hmos will never never cease to amaze inside man was amazing my i mean i actually have a top three and, and my and my top three does include inside man i think it's just the just funny you know it's it's funny in a fun way in the same way like i really love uh bride of chaotica you know, mm. I've, I, I stand that episode from the beginning. I told you from the start it was going to be one of my favorite to talk about. It was. I enjoyed reviewing it. And then the same way I was looking forward to Body and Soul. I just think that Jerry Ryan is so good in that episode playing an entirely different character. But herself, you know, and it's just she just nails it. And Quick I, side I note, it. season seven is certainly the season of holograms. There is so much holographic what if going on, impersonation, war with the Herogen, war with the fucking Galaxy Quest guys from uh, what was that one? Galaxy Quest guys? No, no, the the one where he pretends to be seven. Wait a second, the the so body and uh, flesh, uh, body and soul was the one where he, where seven pretend he's in seven's body. Right, just a lot of good holographic stuff in there. Um, so, uh, inside man, I liked friendship one. I really, really liked, and I thought there was a lot of great traditional trick and there's a lot that bothered me about friendship one, but that, that pushed a lot of big buttons for me. That was a huge episode in terms of scope. Rip Joe Carey. Yeah. RIP Joe Carey. Author author was a phenomenal, uh, continuity rewarding episode. And again, it's another strong hologram episode. 
the stuff at the end with the the mine and the slave labor EMH Mark ones, the communications, they fit like 16 different stories into one 45 minute episode. I thought it was a, a masterpiece of Star Trek writing shattered. I was about to say, if you skipped over shattered, I was going to be pissed. Shattered so, my top pick. So let me let me give you mine since I know you're indecisive. I'm going to make you pick three. Mm-hmm. I know you've got lots of children you favor here. I'll let you work that out while I give you mine. My number three uh, was uh, Body and Soul, as you already mentioned. I I love the comedy episode, and that was just a great great way to to do that whole premise. I thought it was just very clever, very well written, very well acted. Top marks. My number two uh, was Homestead, Neelix's farewell. I think that it was a huge payoff. Uh, it is a point that I'm going to make later. I will save it in regards to that episode and how it is unique among season seven. And then my favorite episode actually for the entire season was Shattered. I think that Shattered is another episode there where I'm going to make another point about season seven as a whole. Uh, but it, it it is everything Voyager could have been in one episode. And it was awesome. <laughs> like it was amazing fun to rewatch, which a lot of these aren't for me because I've re I've watched them recently. And in, in case a lot of these things in, in season seven, not in you know, the last five years. And it's like rewatching that was just so much fun. And it, it reminded me of the potential of the show in a way that was, was good. A uh, special, commendation at the honorable mention and actually in my case goes to workforce i Mm. thought that that was actually a really cool two-parter uh i like the idea behind it i love that it was janeway like living this life and you kind of like got to see behind the curtain of what she's like when she's not the captain because that part of her brain was basically turned off uh space mark just got horrifically chopped. I just, I just want to say like, I really like the premise of workforce and I feel like maybe that would have been better served in season six. I didn't put workforce on my weakest shit awards, but it was certainly under consideration. Workforce had a lot going for it. workforce is a crime that they squandered a two parter uh, with that had really zero momentum going out of there when there were so many better places to put those stories or to have the fucking courage to carry workforce forward into the rest of the episode and turn space mark into something meaningful outside of that little bubble whether it's as a persistent character or a potent death it's why it's not in my top three because there is too much wasted potential but I really liked it as a two-parter and it was a good Voyager story I just think that it was maybe not right for season seven but Pin it down, man. What's your top three? Uh, Shattered, author, author. And I think I'm going to have to go with. uh, Fuck, man. Between critical (laughs) care, friendship one. I'll give it a friendship one. Friendship one. Wow. Leaving leaving Neelix in the cold. I'm not leaving Neelix in the cold. and, And I think that Homestead is. I mean, it made me cry. Homestead flat out made me fucking cry. I don't think it was the episode itself or the plot on paper and to a casual view. There's nothing really that special going on. And you have to have like your, your, your Star Trek Voyager fanboy commemorative hat on 
with the matching jacket and limited edition Nikes, right? Yeah, I I can see what you're saying here. You need to know Neelix inside and out. And if you do, and you've got your fucking uh, little Debbie's secret decoder ring, right? You you have a very rewarding episode that's fucking amazing. Um, That's an interesting point. Like you're bringing up something that I kind of wanted to touch on here, which was shattered as a case study. I know you're talking about Homestead, but I think you could link that in kind of in the same way. Sure. It's what we always ask for. Continuity and paying off being a Voyager fan. Same deal with Timeless. You know, occasionally Voyager touches on greatness. And I don't know if the Voyager greats are really as good as they feel or if it's because everything else is fucking held down with chains and concrete blocks that when one finally is able to break out and like hit the surface, it feels like such an accomplishment. Um, but it's rare. However, when it does happen and they really lean into the, the Star Trek fandom, they're amazing, rewarding experiences. But I guess that's my point, which is they're amazing and rewarding experiences for you and me and possibly a lot of the people listening to the show, too. But Shattered is a case study to me and how Voyager could have been amazing, but also why they couldn't or maybe shouldn't. And we're correct not to go down that route. Okay, so why did we love Shattered, right? Like we love Shattered because it was continuity porn for the entirety of Voyager's run all in one episode. It was self-awareness. It it was self-aware of how ridiculous its premise was. And the thing that got us really hooked was that it was Janeway being confronted with the reality of her choices in a way that you and I really enjoyed of like, this is the shit that I end up putting my crew through. Like, Maybe it's best that none of this ever happens. Can we find a way to make this not happen? We like that about Endgame too. Was that Janeway being confronted with the reality of her the consequences they of her choices? Take, and, and here's here's the golden stroke of Shattered is they take something that you and I have hammered hundreds hundreds of times, and that is uh, Voyager makes stupid decisions that needlessly endangers himself, and just all of the bad decisions and. You know, there is a smart way to do it and they just they don't do it. And in Shattered, I think they effectively Chakotay says, in the end, these are the right choices to make. This is what we signed up for. You're not doing the wrong thing. And yes, we have an opportunity to prevent all this from ever happening. And here's a good reason why we shouldn't. And in that moment, the writer's room says, look, we've confronted the stupidity of our writing and we've somehow made it seem okay." And as a critic, I was able to buy it 100 percent. Yet. As much as that show represented to you and me, what if Voyager didn't suck? That was literally something you said in that review. It was if imagine if you turned on UPN and that's the one you turned on, you'd have no fucking idea of what was going on, right? Like that episode is 100% reliant on knowledge that uh, at some point Voyager was in, had their dreams invaded literally multiple times. Right. Like that was a joke that paid off for you and for me and some other people who were Voyager stands and no one else. And they did not want that. They specifically engineered this show so that you did not have to have much knowledge of what the fuck was going on. Yeah, but look, man, that's watch it. That's bullshit. And we're moving into uh, the, the series 
rip as a whole here, but go back to that Jason uh, Alexander think tank episode where they brought in Seinfeld big names in a desperate uh, bid to try and get fucking eyeballs on the TV show that weren't dedicated Star Trek neckbeards, right? We're in season seven. Uh, and that's where, where Shattered popped in. Oh, what if I, you know, just randomly tuned in? Nobody's fucking watching Voyager. And you're going to be able to school me on this with some numbers here in our next episode. But like at this point, it's clear to everybody. No one fucking cares about Voyager unless you're a diehard trekker. So just fucking lean into it. Embrace what you got. And and maybe that's kind of what they did. I mean, there's a lot of self-reference. There's a lot of yeah. continuity. Season seven is where they finally did that to mm-hmm. any extent. It's really where it started to occur. I think it worked out when they did it. I agree. You and I liked it. I'm just trying to give the benefit of the doubt to the wisdom that they didn't necessarily want to lean into that as hard as the, as, as you and I might've liked that they kept the show as casual viewer friendly as possible for as long as they possibly could to their own detriment. And maybe it was to their detriment, but maybe also it helped them retain viewers. I, it's hard to know, and that's something we're going to discuss more uh, in a couple of weeks here, but Shattered as a case study of that, I think, is important. It's our favorite episode of the whole season because and it I'm, does something Voyager seemed allergic to doing for its entire run. I'm very surprised that through our entire two-hour discussion of Endgame, not once did we make any mention of uh, Shattered, given that there was that timeline interference, Janeway's in some case, curiosity, in some cases, uh, well, that, reservation. In, in that case, there wouldn't have been anything because the only person who remembered anything that happened in Shattered was Chakotay. No, but he could have fucked with the timeline and, and Janeway could have. Janeway's in the same position. I have access to future knowledge. Am I going to do anything to change things? And in that case, she said, no, this all needs to play out the way it's going to play out consequences be damned versus endgame captain Janeway who says I'm no longer willing to suffer the consequences I've uh, invited into this ship's life and now I'm going to cheat like a motherfucker this discussion this side discussion started because of Homestead but Homestead also has to do with another uh, discussion prompt I came up with which was that the payoff episodes were a mixed bag Homestead was great Nightingale wasn't and did anyone other than Neelix actually get an ending? An ending episode or an ending suitable to their character's journey? I'll say ending suitable to their character's journey. Absolutely. Bellana Torres. So you feel Bellana had an ending? Bellana has an ending because Bellana, who has forever been trapped in the same bullshit character loop of I'm embarrassed slash... Um, angry about my half Klingon ancestry is able to shatter that move forward, embrace her child's life as a, and and it's ugly too, right? When she's trying to like genetically uh, Gattaca and like mind wipe the doctor and like genetically re-engineer her kid. Like she's willing to go to some real dark places to get stuff by the end. And, you know, it doesn't really pop up in any of the best of worst of or anything, but, um, Lineage is the episode you're thinking of when she tries Lineage. to program the doctor into genetically re-engineering her child. And immediately followed up in Prophecy, which is probably my favorite Klingon episode of all time in any Star Trek property, because I normally don't like Klingon heavy stuff. 
she's really forced to confront her own doubts. And I think they do a nice job of sideloading Klingon values into Balana Torres, whereas a head-on approach never works. And it was uh, Balana has a bad day. She that that's where she ejects the the warp core for the fried chicken people. You know, she's trying to run these fucking holodeck simulations, recapture her honor, barge it dead. This other bullshit prophecy, like the doc, or I'm sorry, the captain's like straight up, like, listen, I don't know if your babies. Klingon Jesus or not, but like, I'm trying to do what's right for my people. And I need you to care about that. And also I'm going to pray for your dead grandma. You remember her, you love her. Maybe you do care a little bit about this Klingon religious stuff. She starts yeah. buying into it. And then you pay it off in end game where now Belana Torres is uh ambassador to the Klingon or some, some sort of, yeah, high she, was, she was like the, the uh, diplomatic lays on Kronos. I mean, uh, that that's a complete character journey to me. Yeah. You pointed that out when we reviewed Endgame, which was, I was kind of like, like why would the world, would you send Bellana Torres as a nerdy engineer to be a diplomat? And you pointed out, no, she, she, she came to terms with all this. Like mm-hmm. it makes sense that she would be more suitable to this task. Uh, than you and I, than I was necessarily rather uh, considering. She was and, even willing to invite, uh, you know, the murderous Dr. Evil, sometimes Dr. Evil EMH uh, to be the godfather of her parent. Like she has wild character growth that all go- repairing shit with her dad in um, author, author. It's true. And really, all of that was contained entirely in season seven, which was a bit weird that, you know, it wasn't so long ago that you and I were lamenting that she never got any kind of character growth, that she was constantly stuck in this loop of over and over again, telling the same story. But you are, this is an excellent point on your part, which is season seven involved her going through an actual change in character such that uh, when she reaches the end in Endgame, she is finally changed. She has finally evolved. And it's kind of a shame that it takes literal pregnancy to make that change happen, which is what happens, right? Like she gets married. She has a kid on the way that changes you. That's real. I'll grant that. that that's mm-hmm. a real thing. Kids change you. They do get there. They deserve some some amount of of plaudits for for finally delivering yeah, she doesn't that. really get like a dedicated episode but I, she gets a healthy chunk out of a lot of other people's episodes and it's a cool b plot ongoing b plot through a few of these episodes i suppose but, the doctor also gets uh, a pretty strong close being finally you know acknowledged as a as a fully embraced uh member of the crew to the point where uh in author author uh they 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 save the day without playing the easy card, which is no, he's not a person. We can break the contract. Uh, we're going to do this the hard way and, and try and argue that flaws included. This guy is an individual. The other character I was going to bring up that I do think had an ending was seven of nine in that a lot of the season demonstrated in the same way that Bolana finally evolved into a person seven of nine finally evolved into a person such that in end game, she is quite obviously very, very different than she was even at the beginning of season six. Definitely. than when she first joined the crew in season four, 
I did like that. I did like that at the end of Endgame, there seems to have been a real evolution of Seven of Nine from robot lady into actual person. The biggest expression of that is going to be human error, where she starts trying to live this, running these fantasy simulations, seeing what if what if I was afforded to actually wear uh, a uniform that covers up my butt? <laughs> what if I had quarters and I wasn't sleeping in a fucking Tesla charging port? Um, and, and the heartbreaker kind of at the end of that, it's like, no, this is not for me. And I'm going to go back into a safe and warm place. And even though it's stupid and endgame, uh, you know, this bullshit with Chakotay, which I'm going to vomit all over here in the near future. Um, you know, they, they pick all that stuff back up and engage the technical limitation she had that the Borg restraint that was keeping her from really embracing that humanity. As bad as focusing on that relationship at the very last second was in that it deserved all of the dick kickings that we gave it last week. At the same time, I enjoyed that seven of nine's plot line was about how she had finally made the turn and was wanting to embrace more of her personhood as a consequence of the hard work of, frankly, every single person on the ship. For starting with the captain and on the way down that engaged with her and that that slow growth that we had watched was finally paying off. So that part of it was cool. It's just a shame that it wound up with Beltran and Jerry Ryan like swapping tongue. Um, but it is what it is. I will say that it is a an ending, but no one else really got any payoff, right? Tom, no. Mm. Harry, no. The captain, no. Tom has had a lot of growing up that he's done and but he doesn't have an ending. No. Like that's what I'm saying. Like there isn't like a okay, so this is a completed arc. There everybody else kind of got cut off. And the, the the show just ends. Whatever arc you can give Tom gets encapsulated and Tom quits being a fuckboy and becomes a good husband, which does happen in this season and it's not like a monumental moment when it does happen, but it's there. That being said, I, I wouldn't count him as having a, a formal ending. Kim, certainly not. Uh, I think Janeway's left a mess. Yeah. So, so where you want to go from here? We've got more awards to hand out, Peter. We have our most important award. The one you inaugurated so long ago when we watched Jatrell, and that is the weakest shit award. I'm over here telling you how good season seven is, how hard it is to come up with really vicious dud episodes uh, all that being said there's some nasty stuff in my weakest shit pile <laughs> a special mention to repentance which was the um space texan episode and and them trying to tell a moral story about like bad profiling and stuff like that and then completely spinning the plot around and completely yeah, vilifying the, 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 b, the b plot of that episode is that everyone being racist at that particular space race was correct. Apparently <laughs> that's <Ooh>. rough. <laughs> that's a little rough. Ooh. It's a bit of a miss. Chakotay and seven in end game. That's some real weak, bad shit there. Uh, by far from the biggest offender. How the fuck did the Talaxians get that far away from Talix and, without the 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 shoots and ladders and Borg boom tubes and slingshots and Kess bumps that Voyager had ridiculous that line of dialogue to explain it not a one uh friendship one's ending 
Voyager just piecing out when I think there was so much blood on their hands that they should have been there at least a month, like healing cancer and doing other stuff. Not to mention being able to take these people off that nuclear wasteland that they helped create back to the um, the workforce planet with like the fucking peanut butter to jelly plot connection that you never know that you needed. I'm still mad about that. And maybe that <laughs> should be my fucking weakest shit award. Um, but uh, in, in space, Mark, I'm I'm pissy about a lot of a lot of raw feelings out of that. Uh, that uh, workforce went space, Mark, getting wasting so much time building up what a great guy space Mark was for that weak shit. Like, well, I can't I come on board because you'd be my boss and that's illegal now. In reality, I don't think there's any right answer here that you can put in that isn't the fucking dirty, rubbing her face and broken glass and piss treatment that Kess got. What the fuck? Well, that isn't part of the season, though. Wait, wait. Um, no. Fury happened in season six. That's how bad Fury was, man. It transcended into season seven. <laughs> So you went through all of that and you can't pick a weakest shit for season seven? Uh, friendship one ending. Yeah, I mean, that was strong for no, me. No, like, Chakotay and seven. Chakotay okay. And seven. I, I, my number two pick was actually what you just said, which was yes, the end of friendship baby. one where they're like, how do we do this scene for like poor Joe Carey? And we get a fucking Christmas tree ornament and put it in a bottle and talk about how he was building a ship in the bottle and how we're going to talk about Joe Carey. Like this guy we have literally barely seen for six seasons that comes back to just unceremoniously get murked. And not necromancy to back alive or Borg nanoprobed back alive. But the weakest shit is not that, Peter. The weakest shit is nothing you mentioned. I'm kind of shocked that this didn't make your list. The weakest shit is Harry Kim's command ability in Nightingale. The weakest shit is that he gets put in charge of the ship because he's got the special Starfleet abilities to be in charge. And then he manages to just get jabronied by everyone on that ship from Ron Glass at 20% of his true power to Seven of Nine just telling him how shitty he is at his job the entire time. No, the we- I, I buy that. That is a good up. Ep- that's a bad episode for what it's supposed to be. It is a good episode for what it is and that it establishes why Harry Kim is still an ensign. And what's missing there, again, is that scene at the end where Chakotay is like reading the the mission report like, holy fuck, Kathy, I see why he's still an ensign now. Like, I thought you were just being a bitch before, but like, did you read page two? Wow. Nothing will appear weaker to me than Harry Kim being such a whiny bee in the entirety of his command experience. Like he brings his saxophone with him and, and his like little Starfleet awards weak shit. It's not weak shit. This, this is no Talaxian stuck in a nuclear Metreon cascade. Hell, this is just, that's just bad writing, Joe. <laughs> All right. Well, what is the weakest shit except the worst writing of the season? Come on now. I think, I think, I think you're losing the forest with the trees. Mm. Where are we going now? Best character of the season. Neelix, baby. Neelix, 100%. Neelix had the best episode, but I'm not going to say he's the best character. I That was such a good character development moment. The dude 
fully realizes the hero's journey and his entire run through the show pays off pound for pound in every scene he is in for that. That one episode is more than enough. It's so good what happens to him and so wildly off the charts for what Voyager is capable of that. I, I can't help but but give him MVP for the, the season based on that alone. And he's got some pretty solid participation in some other stuff here. You know, I'm I'm not going to give it to him because, frankly, he's barely in the season. It, I mean, I I grant you, Homestead's great. I really enjoyed it. It was a great ending to Neelix's story. He got the the happy ending and the payoff and the emotional catharsis that was missing from so much of everyone else. And I really am glad that he got that. But. Dude, dude was reduced to almost special guest star status by the time they finally dropped him off at what you affectionately called the last Talaxian truck stop in the universe. And I don't think that that rises to the level of being the best character. I think the best character was the EMH, which is probably, you know, kind of basic bitch of me to say. Because Very basic bitch of you. Robert Picardo is like so, so much better an actor than everyone else. They also let, let's do a quick count here. Um, but he got critical care and he got author, author and he got Renaissance man and, and body and soul. All of these were blood. I mean, they they fed him, uh, you know, Wagyu beef. Is that is that the fancy? We, yeah, Wagyu. Yeah. I mean, this dude had home run after home run just just handed and i'm not saying that he didn't deserve it and i'm not saying that he didn't knock him out of the park but i mean he was just showered in in top end scripts so even he was really even good in the in end game too like as joe the the doctor now like having evolved and having changed like he is awesome and he has he got to shoot dudes up like a like a fucking gangster in friendship one i mean he 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 had not only an amazing character arc and not only did he have the, the kinds of payoffs that Neelix did, but he had like multiple, multiple good episodes. I don't, I think there's, there's no one else you can name for this award. I'm, I'm giving it to the, my underdog, my, my under space cat Neelix. He, he had the least to work with and he did the most with it. Team Neelix, man. Who was the worst character and why is it Harry Kim? Yeah, Harry Kim uh, is the obvious choice, but I'm going to go Janeway. Um, If nothing else, The Void, that's the subspace episode where everybody gets stuck in space Thunderdome and has to fight. And Janeway fucks everything up by nitpicking uh, where the fucking tech doodad they needed to to break out came from and sabotages it. And this is this is going to be a bigger conversation for the series as a whole rip, but this is some shit I brought up to you four years ago when we started talking about this. Absolutely. I'm going to fucking rail on it in in the series closeout, but I mean, she's got some real frequent low points across this, this episode. And yeah, Harry Kim's a fucking whiny bitch shit bag, but uh, you know, water is wet, right? What else do you expect from from the character based on the majority of the stuff we've seen from him? You know, if it wasn't for Endgame and that I think it came and, and Workforce, I think those were all two two parter episodes that were desperately reliant on 
Kate Mulgrew's acting ability and Janeway as a character kind of coming through in a way that was really cool. Uh, I might agree with you, but there was actual good Janeway content. There was actual good, like specifically episodes focused on her that were good. And uh, to be, to be clear again, just for everybody listening at home, when I'm saying Janeway sucks, uh, I, I'm not saying Kate Mulgrew is bad. Every dumb thing that comes out of her mouth in void Kate Mulgrew does a good job portraying. And if that was the only exposure I had to that character, none of it would seem out of place or silly, but it's just, it's awful writing and it's sabotaged through this whole thing. But what, I mean, obviously Nightingale's the, the specific low point for Kim, but is there anything else really jumping out at you? I thought he was kind of real dick bad in drive. He's not good in anything. Like drive is the, the next episode where he had kind of a major role. He's not very good in that. Uh, then there's inside man where he's just whiny. There's Endgame, which he probably has. He has one good scene, like saying goodbye to Jay, future Janeway before she leaves. And that's about it. Like, you know, he gets some emotion into the scene where he's like saying goodbye to his space mom. But that's about all he manages for the entirety of season seven. It's just real bad. Like Friendship One is an episode dominated by more Tom Paris, like in his maturity uh, than than fucking Harry Kim managing to fucking do anything. It, it's, it, it becomes a meme in the season, in the series finale when he's like trying to get Tom to do some real dangerous shit. And he's finally outgrown him. It, like the show almost comments on how he's kind of still stuck as a one note, useless, awful character. And I just don't think that any season represents that better than season seven, because well, I think that only about half the crew gets an ending. Only Harry Kim didn't change. Like Janeway is constantly confronted with the consequences of her actions and has to come to terms. They try to give him something in Endgame when they show that he's a captain and family and that other stuff, but uh, the- but they don't show him evolving into that. They're just like, "All right, you're this now," because we didn't, we couldn't get you there, you know. Like- and it's the same deal in Timeless too, like. You're, you know, this is a pretty cool character they're portraying at the end here, but that's a, that's a one off. If not for Timeless, he would have essentially zero redeeming episodes in this whole fucking show. I'll give him Deathlock too when he when he dies. When he dies, okay. Two. I mean, he's he's had a couple here Two. and there, but it's it's very hard. I, he gets this is one of the biggest neglected characters in all of Trek. There's 168 episodes of Voyager, and he was good in two of them. I want to bring up a special entry into the awards because for the first time ever, I think season seven is actually playing with some pretty good CG. Is there any uh, space fight scene that you think really comes out as the best of the best? I guess Flesh and Blood. Flesh and Blood was probably the best one. So that's the Herogen one. And that yeah. that when when Voyager finishes eating Herogen butt and flies out of the blind spot, and you've got like multiple phaser blasts coming off a single bank, uh, that was a tight-ass fight scene. Definitely worthy of the praise we gave it. And uh, Imperfections, that's when Seven's cortical node goes offline, and they go back and like start uh, ransacking derelict cubes. And they get in a fight with some space pirates and like the Delta Flyer actually does some pretty cool shit there. Season seven was strong enough that neither of us have talked about imperfections until an hour into the show. And that was a good ass episode. Yes. If imperfections was in season six, it would have 
e- easily been in our top three. Yes. Yes. That's a great, a great observation. And yeah, yeah and that was the, it was definitely like the high point of each by far. Uh, it was a great evolution of seven of nine and had great moments for other parts of the crew. I want to flip back to your question about them pulling the Starfleet connection too late in the series. I think season seven highlights that there's other things they waited until too late in the series. That scene with Icheb, uh Harry Kim and Tuvok. I, I always like Harry Kim and Tuvok together. Icheb's a great addition to that quartet. And again, it's it's cool background shit like that. I think they could have gotten some strong B plot mileage out of and they I, I guess maybe they just didn't know it was there, but for all the shit B plots and even shit A plots that we've been forced to sit through, um, it's a shame that those moments weren't really realized until very late in the season. Uh, we we do have to settle up on one more award. I wrote down something here. I'm going to call an audible because I think it's a, it's a better thing to discuss. Best guest star for the season oh i mean dwight schultz right it's like is dwight schultz a guest star or a recurring character (laughs) you know like i i was gonna say space mark i you and i fell in love with space mark yeah he was just the coolest fucking guy and when he comes in at the end and like bails out catherine and helps her like you save the day and the power plant and does like some space karate. And he's just, he's just the coolest guy. And you're like, you want this relationship to work. And that's a lot to accomplish over the course of two episodes. Like he's charming. You get to like him really fast. Even when he's like a doubting Thomas, it's very reasonable but he comes around and he's very supportive. It's very realistic in the, in Star Trek's own logic. And when the chips are down and push comes to shove, space Mark comes through for his girl, man risks his life and throws down some karate chops. The you true know? strength of straight of space. Mark as the best special guest star is evident in the outrage and anger uh, that we felt when they give him that flimsy ass, Sorry, I can't come on board because you'd be the boss. And that's now illegal. after literally saying there's no excuse for you not to be here except for literally this. Like they went out of their way to jabroni him. It was bad. <laughs> it was real bad. So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give it to space, Mark. A uh, special shout out to hologram Simon Tarsus, the cold blooded murderer. Uh, <laughs> it was good to see him back in a uniform. And I also want to shout out. Uh, how do you do to himself, Lieutenant Baxter, who got to be the the dirty f- plant shift supervisor who was uh, actually, man, you know, like workforce really did have a lot of good stuff. I love that arrogant, bitchy lead doctor, that mm-hmm. scene where he's uh, telling the fucking the good doc, where the evil doctor's telling the good doctor, like how the world works. And just giving no fucks about confessing to these very serious crimes. Like that was a great special guest star on special guest star moment. We mentioned at the time that it was strange to see two guest stars as the principal actors in a scene of that length. Yeah. And an episode like that, like that just doesn't happen. I want to, I want to, I want to go back to weakest shit. I think weakest shit is this, uh, this business about grabbing a girl by the arm and shutting her down. (laughs) Oh, the immobilization 
grab specifically in in regards to seven and nine seven and nine has ransacked and rampaged so many times and there's a lot of misses in season seven where nonsense happens that she's around for and gets caught up in it what was the fucking the worst one oh uh the goddamn uh tuvok reactivates the maquis and somehow I'm being led to believe that seven and nine didn't just kick the shit out of the five Maquis that got reactivated there. Kiss my ass. The the last thing I want to to provide is a as a parting discussion of season seven, because so much that we're going to talk, you know, we've already kind of brushed up against it. We've got a lot more to talk about when it comes to Voyager. You and I are both deeply looking forward to doing our live stream episode uh, that'll occur that first week in January. And we've, we've watched so much of the show. We have a lot that we want to discuss about not just season seven, but everything else. But if season seven did anything, accomplished anything really broke new ground. It's a demonstrated that it was, that it was quite possible to fuck in club Tuvok. Yeah, it was that, that Neelix absolutely climbed the Mount Everest of Klingon babes. Uh, another strong support as to why Neelix gets fucking best character uh, between Homestead and and that dude that- got laid this season, man. Like there is no stud muffin on this ship like Neelix, dude. Like seven of nine was missing out by going for fucking Chakotay instead of Neelix, bro. Neelix crushing Klingon Poon in Tuvok's room. Enthusiastically, uh, seeking it out, embarrassing Harry Kim in the hallway to do so. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and file that under a best competitor for senior moment, best senior week moment. And you, you brought that up a few times. Like, yeah, things are done. It's winding down. You can let the sillies out. You could, you could break script and do some cool stuff. I did want to talk about that one. I mean, there's an obvious front runner there, and that's pretty much all of Renaissance man where any sort of inhibitor or self-governance that the EMH ever showed is completely unlocked. And he goes balls to the wall, Jedi Knight, a 100% power level. But what's, what's your best senior week moment? Cause I've, I've actually have a better one. I think than, than the EMH running up fucking walls. I was actually, that's why I started bringing up Neelix uh, in the fashion I did is I didn't know we, we would necessarily get to talk about senior week moments. Oh, I'm but not letting that one go. That's that's yeah, gold. Neelix banging the, banging the Klingon babe in Club Tuvok is always going to be the all star to me. Like the whole setup of that episode was for him, like the best B plot in the history of the show, right? Was Neelix is super into Klingon culture. Yes. And like is envious that Harry Kim is going to get to fuck this Klingon lady. Like that's the plot that Harry asserted dominance, got her attention and he gets like this unwilling pass to bone from the doctor, like that he is bound and like that this is going to have to happen. And Neelix is like, Oh, you're going to get to fuck her. This is so, Oh, I'm so envious. And it's clear. He doesn't want to. So he, he, he embarrasses him in front of her as she's strutting down the hallway in her fucking matrix coat and platform boots and boob window with the, with the clear boob window so that he could take her back to club Tuvok and wreck the place with their cardinal desires. 
The like, only thing that was missing out of that is him taping a sock to the outside of the door. <laughs> it was spectacular that he was wanted that from the start, pursued it, achieved it. And then when he got what he wanted, it was everything that he wanted. You know, that he walked away from that like, oh, that what was, a woman. <laughs> like That was effectively his bachelor party. It was. And then he met a widow. <laughs> started to buttfuck her. It's fine. Yeah, he showed her some new stuff he uh, learned in the Yeah, let me learn from the Klingons, babe. Let me show you some things. Mm-hmm. These new STDs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they call this one the Stovacore. Uh, again, I think the doctor going balls to the wall, 100% maximum potential. Um, certainly a strong competitor. But I, I think my best senior week moment, and it might seem trivial, but in the bigger picture for as much as we've looked at it, uh, special shout out to Tom Paris separating or threatening to separate Tuvok and Neelix and Homestead. Uh, that one, that one really got me good. But uh, the, the end of Homestead, Tuvok finally uh, having a moment where he shows compassion to to Neelix, relents and uh, is willing to show everyone lined up to see Neelix off that he is going to dance and then lay the live long and prosper line on him. That one got me too. Yeah, I mean, I, I did like the interactions there, but I would, I would put the him going to Neelix and be like, "Bro, you can do this. I know you can." That's, That's another cool. thing I hold against, and I can't because maybe that would have been too deep. But the the whole conversation we had about them acknowledging Tuvix knowing each other intimately, and. Tuvok dropping all the bullshit and really just real talking him and empowering him full frontal. Uh, had they done that, it would have been the best episode of the series for me, but I get why they couldn't write it that way in my mind's eye. That's how I remember that scene. But uh, for now, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to settle with him doing a little dance on Neelix's way out. Well, thank you to everyone. It has listened to our rip of season seven as we lay it to peace as it deserves. We have one more spectacular episode prepared for you on the topic of Voyager. And as I mentioned at the top, that will occur live on January 5th on Twitch. It will be provided to everyone's podcast feeds at hopefully on Thursday or Friday sometime. Give me some leeway. If you can't make it to to celebrate the end of the series with us, uh, feel free to hit us up in email or Facebook messages or whatever with any questions, comments, uh, favorite moments, or anything that you want to hear us talk about. Yeah, we, int- we intend to go deep. We intend to leave no stone unturned. We'd obviously love your live participation on nine o'clock on uh, nine o'clock Eastern. Uh, on Twitch, on our Twitch channel to interact with us. Or if you can't join us, then join us in the after party on on, uh, Discord. Uh, But if that's just not in the cards because you're in a time uh, zone where that's not compatible. Or a subspace, you know, pocket dimension similar to Void. Whatever's holding you back, really. Maybe As long as you can get your minus array activated, you can get a (laughs) message to us, uh, whether it is via Twitter, DM, or uh, uh, email at futureplease at gmail.com. Please do. We want to hear from you. This is going to be a great time to talk. I know we're maybe sounding like we're done. We're not done, uh, but it is a momentous moment 
to wrap up on Voyager and we'd love to have as many people to be a part of it as possible. So until then, everybody. See ya.